good, everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Levin Black is with me as always. And Levin, do you, there's only one answer for who this podcast is dedicated to at number 34. And if you don't know it, you are not a true 49ers fan. That's hilarious because I literally looked it up to make sure before we went to record and said, if Rob doesn't go with this guy, I am calling him out on the show and <laughs> going to say that the fact you didn't go with him means your Niner fan card has to be turned in and you beat me to the punch. It's Joe Perry. Joe Perry. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I, the I first feel- ever Niner Hall of Famer, the first person ever in the NFL history to have back-to-back thousand-yard seasons. And when he retired, he was the all-time NFL leading rusher. And if I'm being quite honest, he has an argument. I don't know if I would go. Like I have a hard time with that debate. But he has an argument for being the best 49ers running back ever over Frank Gore. Because if you adjust for era, it, it's a non-argument. It is Joe Perry. And Perry still has the Niners' career rushing touchdown record at 68. Gore, I think, got to 64. He got very, very close, but didn't match it. The part of the million-dollar backfield, I mean, obviously, a stud, Hall of Famer, anything you want to say. You stole my Jim Brown nugget. I was going to throw that in there, but you're all over it. Well, that's why I'm here, right? Yeah. I guess that must be the reason because I can't think of any others. Uh, A lot to do today. Obviously, we're going to talk quarterbacks. Uh, That's dominating the 49ers world now that they've traded up to number three. You know, that's been like, what, 15, 20 years? That's been dominating the Niners world. (laughs) Very true. By the way, one last thing on the career touchdown record. Do you know, so 68 is the record by Joe Perry. Do you know the closest active 49er to Joe Perry? Probably Jeff Wilson. It's it's tied between Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. You know how many they have each? Like nine, maybe? Eleven. Eleven touchdowns. That seems like it should be higher, doesn't it? No, because they don't really punch it in from the red zone. That's the, the one big issue with the offense. They're unable to score in the damn red zone. And part of that is because Kyle never goes and gets that big horse of a running back to punch it in with. Yeah, he likes the guys that can just run the hell past you. That's true. A lot of their rushing touchdowns, or Jimmy will rush it in. He likes to do the sneak, which I'm a fan of also. Um, Okay, so we're going to talk quarterbacks today, obviously. Niner fans everywhere are just now like hyper-focused on Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, potentially Trey Lance, potentially Mac Jones. And you wrote an article for 49ers Web Zone about some kind of differences that you're seeing and how people are looking at Justin Fields and how people are looking at Mac Jones. So I want to get into that. I want to get into maybe looking beyond the first round a little bit, like what you want to see the 49ers do in this draft. I know people are focused on round one, but they do have a full slate of draft picks after round one that they're going to have to make. So you've got to figure out how do we want to use those and you want us to sort of power rank our three choices at number three overall. So we'll do all that and more. Let's get into it, Levin. I want you on the record right now <laughs> to tell me who you want the quarterback to be at number three. Who I want is Trey Lance. And wow. I have said that on Twitter for the last like two months. Look, I think Lance and Fields are a toss-up to me, I think, in terms of which one is more valuable, like which one's more worthy of that pick, if you want to put it that way. So I have to find a tiebreaker, and the tiebreaker is a personal choice. It's nothing to do with football. It's the fact that Trey Lance went to North Dakota State. My wife is from North Dakota. She has not really ever, I mean, she pays attention to football, but she's not into it. But she does have a Carson Wentz Philadelphia Eagles jersey. And so if the Niners get the North Dakota State guy, then... I can get her to wear a damn Niners. She doesn't wear some Niner stuff, but she doesn't wear anybody's like jersey or anything. Mm-hmm. So it's a personal tiebreaker, but I do want Trey Lance the most. And I think because they still have Jimmy, if Trey Lance isn't ready, which I personally think he would be ready day one, then that that works. His inexperience isn't an issue to me. Okay, Trey Lance is gone. What's your number two option? Trey Lance is gone. I'd probably go Wilson. Okay, what puts him at number two? I think he's, how should I say this? 
more consistently dynamic. I think Fields can do everything Wilson can do at times, but Wilson can do it a little more consistently. And look, I think they're really close. I do not think that there's a wide gap at all between these two, and I think they're actually pretty similar in terms of skill sets. I just think Wilson is a little bit better at the dynamic part. Okay, this is what I don't understand, though, because you told me that it was a toss-up between Lance and Fields, but you put Lance one because of the connection with your wife. So then how do you not have Fields number two? Because, like I said, they're all real close. I'm... You asked who I want. Wilson wasn't part of that. Wilson wasn't part of that because I'm assuming he goes number two. If you made me pick between the three of them, I'd probably begrudgingly give up my personal bias and take Wilson because I do think he's a slightly better prospect. Hmm. But I think all three are very close. And put it this way, if any of the three are taken, I'm all smiles. Like There's nothing in the back of my mind going, I can't believe they took Trey Lance because Wilson was there or I can't believe they took, you know, fields over Trey Lance or or whatever. Like all three of those are people I think are in certain drafts, the number one pick. So you have Lance one, Wilson two, fields three in my top three. Yes. If Wilson is part of it. Yes. And if he's gone, if he's gone, I have a wild card at number three, which you probably won't like. But if Wilson is gone, it is Lance, then Fields. And I mean, obviously, in this scenario, they get either one of those. But my third preference would be Kyle Pitts and get Kellen Mond in the second. They're not trading up to three to no. get Kyle Pitts. That's why that that's the reaction I expected. There's no way they traded up and gave up three first round picks and a third to get Kyle Pitts. And that's they true. Might, they yeah. are definitely going quarterback. But my personal preference with the third option, I would rather do that. I mean, let's just address it. I would rather do that than take Mac. Mac is the other option there. And I would rather pass on quarterback, take Pitts, and get a quarterback that sits behind Jimmy for a year. So I want to circle back to that because that's that's something that we're obviously going to dip into. One, I love that the 49ers traded up to three because they don't have to make that choice. Like, they're going to get one of Lance, Wilson, or Fields. It's Even if somebody trades up in front of two, like they're gave, guaranteed themselves one of those. So that's why I love it. They are sitting at three, not at, you know, obviously 12 or six or anywhere else. A brilliant move by them. Okay. So it sounds like you're pretty low on Mac Jones. A lot of people, Chris Sims, other analysts now, seemingly, I feel like since Sims put Mac Jones at three in his quarterback rankings, a lot of people seemingly have hopped on board. You sound pretty low on Mac Jones. Tell me why. Well, first, let me say that there's a reason why since Sims put out his list, some people have jumped on it. And he actually addresses that in the podcast with his rankings, that he doesn't pay attention to anybody else's rankings he he watches the film and he comes up with his own rankings which is why he will have a wild card like Colin Kellen Mond is his number four overall quarterback but he says that because some people do some people see some they they look at everybody else's rankings and they come up with theirs and they just tweak it here and there and then they act like they're an expert and that's why you see others suddenly on the Mac Jones train why are you so much lower on Mac Jones and these other guys because he doesn't have the dynamic. I think he he represents the safe vanilla pick. I think he he's probably a slightly safer. It's 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 hard to put it into words. He's a guy that you know what you're getting. It's a safer bet. To put it, like you're getting a pocket passer who is pretty good at reading a defense. That's what you're getting. The problem is, is there's no high upside and there are other guys that have shown that they can also read a defense and they do have that crazy upside. And there's no logical reason, in my opinion, for Mac Jones to be above them. He has not done anything to show that he is better. And he has the character questions that nobody talks about. He has DUIs in his past in college. Do you think anybody else with DUIs in their past in college would just be completely ignored and 
nobody would bring him up as a character flaw? No, they would be massive character flaws. I don't I don't understand why that is completely ignored. Well, it's interesting because like Baker had incidents with the cops in his past and it was talked about. It didn't obviously hold him back in any way. It was the number one overall draft pick. But we did we we did talk about that leading up to the draft. And you're right about Mac Jones. Like I have not heard anybody really bring it up, especially like on TV. I've seen it in some articles somewhere, but like nobody even talks about any character issues with him whatsoever. Right. Like, so I first got, I, I guess I should say reminded about it earlier this week, like less than a week ago. I was like, wait, he's the guy that had the DUI. Cause I remembered there being a story of a backup quarterback getting a DUI at Alabama from years ago, like four years ago when it happened, I didn't realize it was Mac Jones because nobody has mentioned it. And when somebody, I finally saw somebody on Twitter, not even like a named account, just Joe Schmo, some guy on Twitter saw, said it in the comments. And I was like, hold up. I remember there being a quarterback at Alabama that got a DUI and I looked it up. Sure enough, that is the story that I remembered. I just didn't have a clue as Mac Jones. And I don't know why it's not mentioned practically anywhere in the last couple of days. It has started to get a little bit of traction, but still, you don't see anybody having it as part of their like breakdown or report on him. Right. And if you just think about it this way, if you're just, you know, rip the name off the back of the jersey, putting together scouting reports on these guys, the Mac Jones scouting report says not mobile, you know, not dynamic character issue, DUI that. Those all go together in the scouting report, and yet people are talking about him potentially as the number three overall pick over somebody like Justin Fields, who has no character concerns and is what did he just run a four four? I mean, like four four you know, four, yeah, lightning fast. Same thing with Trey Lance, obviously mobile guy. Like, but Mac Jones has talked about it three as like a potential threat there, and it's hard to understand why if that's the case yeah and that, that's why i wrote what i did because i think there was an elephant in the room as i said in the article that people weren't zeroing in on and i think it is playing a role and it needed to be brought to light like that that's why i wrote what i did i there is no like we just said there's no logical reason for mac jones to be above those two Like maybe because Trey Lance sat out a year and he played in, you know, the FCS rather than the FBS. Okay, maybe I can at least see justification. But for Justin Fields, who played in bigger games, or I guess you could call that a tie, but he played against better defenses by a hefty margin, won a national championship, like, and is the dynamic guy. He's the guy that can make crazy throws like a Patrick Mahomes. Mac Jones isn't. So what is the logical reason for Mac Jones being above him? Are you telling me Mac Jones reads a defense? Like people have started to fall back on the cliche, just call it what it is, bullshit uh, player thing on Justin Fields. And they did it to Deshaun Watson. Oh, he can't scan the field. He doesn't get through his progressions. Well, if you actually watch the film and there are a lot of people out there actually showing breakdowns of the film. Yes, he does go through his progressions. It is a bullshit uh, thing just to bring him down. It, it's something where people got bored pre-draft. This is a guy that's been the assumed top quarterback for going back to high school. And while he's not the top quarterback, because Trevor Lawrence came out early, he is worthy of the number one pick in a normal year. And yet all of a sudden now, a month before the draft, people are like, oh, well, he's got this problem. And it's just they're trying to nitpick. They got bored. There's not much left to say on him because so much has been covered. So they're looking for things. And that is, let me put it this way. That is the easy thing to critique somebody on because the general fan has no way of disproving you, has no way of knowing that you're actually wrong because you actually have to review the film and know what you're looking at to know that they're wrong and they're making up bullshit. And let's be honest, the NFL has been littered with quarterbacks that are pretty mobile that can't read a defense and get through a first read like we've seen that before so when you hear that sometimes it's easy to fall into like oh i'll just throw this guy in with this category of people that i have already seen in the nfl the thing is is you already see it with other people 
You're telling me that the non-mobile quarterbacks don't have just as high of an incidence of not being able to scan the field? That is, we, this is now th- week three in a row that we're bringing it up. That is the hardest thing and the number one factor in who is the great quarterbacks. They are field generals. They are able to know what the defense is going to do before the defense does it because of film study and just being smart as hell. And that is also the hardest thing to figure out in pre-draft because nobody's going to give you an, an honest answer. Like I said a couple of weeks ago on the show, you call the coach, hey, does he do film study? Does he know what the defense do? Oh, yeah, he's great at it. You know, He's going to talk <laughs> up his guy. You know, He's not going to put him down. You're not going to get an honest answer on that. And I think that is the biggest determining factor of who fails and who who doesn't fail? You know, you, you saw to use a mobile version, Vince Young watched zero film and bombed. Like he came out, his athletic ability at first made him pretty successful. He converted third downs with his feet, but the moment that started to go away, and the moment teams started to be able to disguise things and know what he was capable of doing and what he wasn't doing, they could shut him down and he flamed out. You know, Mike Vick is the best example of this because early in his career, he admits he never watched film with the Atlanta Falcons. He then started watching film with Andy Reid in Philadelphia, and suddenly he turned into a really good passer. That's still one of my favorite sports interviews of all time is Jim Mora Jr., who used to coach Mike Vick, interviewing Mike Vick and him saying, Mike, I used to put the plays on DVDs for you. Every single day we would have DVDs. And he said, Jim, I threw those in the back of my car and never looked at them. <laughs> which is which is Mike Vick telling Jim Morrow that he got I him sabotaged fired. your job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's so it's amazing to me. He's, and it was I loved it. It was honest. It was real. It was raw. And by the way, we've seen it, too, with Johnny Manziel. Not exactly film guy. Once went to right. practice in college in jeans, like not putting in the work from the neck up to do the job. Right. And we've seen non-mobile quarterbacks who can't read a defense well. I don't know if it's due to film study. I haven't seen concrete either way. But, you know, somebody like Mark Sanchez, he had the physical tools in terms of being able to throw a ball, but he couldn't read a defense quick enough. You know, there's countless examples. That is the biggest reason why quarterbacks flame out, even the top ones. So to me, it's lazy to sit here and say suddenly that fields can't scan a defense because it's the thing that's hardest for fans to disprove. I love Fields kind of addressing that after his pro day. He talked with NFL Network and they were like, yeah, you know, people are saying you're a one read quarterback. And he's like, have you seen my wide receivers? They're pretty damn good. If my first read is open, that's where I'm going. And I don't really have to look anywhere else that often because these guys are frigging great. Right. Like that's part of the problem. I wouldn't say problem. Part of the hard part of making the right choice. College systems are widely different. College systems don't necessarily translate to the pros very well. And different people have different levels of talent around them, play different levels of opponents that vary massively. Then it's hard to get an accurate picture of how good somebody is and what they are capable of. Because it might just be that their system in college never asked them to do that. You know, look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen in college didn't do much of anything because his offense wasn't built on the pass game. And on top of that, when he did have to pass, it was really difficult passes when they're forced to. So his numbers look like crap. Now, he did have to improve a lot. He wasn't a finished prospect when he came out, but he was capable of doing it. And a lot of the reason why he looked as bad as he did in college, which wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't horrible. He still managed to become a a top pick. But a lot of it was his college system was not there to make the quarterback look good. I want to get into that a little bit because I my working theory is that Josh Allen is a bit of an anomaly. Like, I can't remember guys that came into the league like him completing like 55% of his passes and then in a year jumping up to like 65, 70. To me, that usually doesn't happen. When I look at these guys coming into the league, I say, by and large, they are who they are. They might get a little better at reading coverages and things like that. But the idea that you're going to overhaul somebody's throwing motion, that you're going to fix their feet, largely to me, you have to take these guys as they are. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that guys really do make great strides developmentally as they go along? It is not the norm, but they do. You know, you you brought up the accuracy jump. 
Peyton Manning had a 6% accuracy jump in it from year one to year two. His first year was not good. He led the league in interceptions, and he only completed like 56% of his passes. I just had to look it up. I just know that one because I was growing up in Indiana at the time. I remember how bad he was as a rookie. You know, he had he looked like he had promise, but he also looked like he was throwing into a lot of crap he shouldn't be throwing into, and he had to learn from that. He jumped to just under 63% in year two. He made a big jump. He was able to learn and pick up things, but it took him a little while to adjust, which is why you shouldn't expect miracles in year one. Even the great, one of the great of all time quarterbacks took a year of leading the league in interceptions and looking like he was throwing way too many balls that he shouldn't be throwing to figure it out. And what do we know of Peyton Manning? He's, I, I would argue Peyton Manning's probably the best men, mentally, the best quarterback ever. He is the best field general. Yeah, yeah, it's it's close. I, I'm not going to kill you for saying that. I agree. Boy, <laughs> you, it's funny you mentioned that the expectations for a rookie because I have been getting skewered on the SB Nation NFL shows because I have said that if the Niner, whoever the Niners draft at three, if they play 16 games and they don't turn the ball over like Jimmy Garoppolo, that the Niners could very easily win the Super Bowl next year. And I'm just getting hammered from everywhere. But I, I really do believe that. Like, and my argument was the last two times Kyle Shanahan's had his quarterback play 16 games, they went to the damn Super Bowl. Like, people seem to forget that. Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garoppolo. When they played 16 games, the team went to the Super Bowl. And it's not like Jimmy did anything so impressive in 2019 that a rookie couldn't do that. Honestly, I believe that, especially a rookie with some mobility. So I'm getting crushed, but I stand by it. You know, let me just throw this out here now before we have the guy in the building. Niner fans are not very patient when it comes to the quarterback. You know, I, I don't think there's any arguing that. So while while we just brought up Peyton Manning, allow me to point this out. If the Niner fans, how impatient they are for a quarterback right now, had Peyton Manning's career, they would be saying, get rid of him in year four. Because Peyton Manning, like I said, he... Led the league in interceptions in year one. In years two and three, he made Pro Bowls. He looked like he had improved. He actually led the league in touchdowns in year three. But then year four, he regressed badly. That is the year of the Jim Mora playoffs, you know, <laughs> rant, where they went six and ten, and he threw 23 interceptions to only 26 touchdowns. Like, I, I just, I see that looking back at his stats right now, and I'm putting... Niner fans of the last decade plus in there. And yeah, we are extremely impatient when it comes to the quarterback position. I'm guilty of it too. And I see that and it's like, can, can I Im- imagine for a second that the rookie we take in the draft of number three has a year four like that? People would be saying, we shouldn't have picked up his fifth year option. We need to trade him while we still can. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that was also, you know, it was a long time ago. You're talking about 2002. So... You know, that think about that. That's what, eight to 19 years ago? So it, times kind of have changed because the contracts are an issue. Like it's it's different now. Peyton Manning, you know, his deal wasn't like these guys now. So that's a factor also. Well, I also think it is the, the play has changed, period. Because you can't touch a wide receiver and you can't touch a quarterback, passing is easier than ever. And you know, that's proven, I think, as well as anything, when you look at rookie records, because the rookie record for passing yards is reset every couple of years now. Like that stood for a long time. Cam Newton was the first ever rookie to throw for 4,000 yards. I think it's been done by three others now. Yeah, it's clearly a different game. Guys come into the league and they can really put their foot on the gas from, you know, I brought up Justin Herbert. Second week of his rookie year, he finds out he's starting 10 minutes before the game because they punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung, and he drops 300-plus yards on the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's a different world now. We're not waiting four years to figure out what we have. And so, you know, we, we'll see. We'll see as we go. Uh, let me just real quick, before we take our break, I want to give my top three. And this is totally— Oh, oh yeah. Nobody cares, but go ahead. Yes, I agree. You shouldn't care because I don't watch college football. I'm totally listening to other people. I'm going to freely admit that. Like, I'm not going to try and lie to you. But from everything I've heard from everyone else, the qualities that are attractive to me in a quarterback are accuracy and mobility. And to me, 
That puts Fields at one. I will put. He's grimacing. He's struggling here. I'll put Lance two. And I guess I'll put Mac Jones three. Accuracy counts for a lot for me. And and people have given him credit for accuracy, especially on the deep ball, which is something I would like to see. Um, Let's take a break. And when we come back from break, we're going to get into a couple other things, including your sort of hot take, which is if Kyle Shanahan screws this up, he should never be allowed to pick a quarterback again. Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. Before we get going here, Levin, I want to give a little bit of love. We, specifically this podcast, is blowing up internationally. We are very big in Europe right now. I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you see this on Twitter? Of course I saw it. I live on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got Jack is a fan of ours from the UK at Waltony 101. Loves the show. He's a UK-based fan. He says it's very hard to keep up. He loves the podcast. He found us midway through the season. And we have turned him from a casual 49ers follower with a passing interest into a full-on fan. I feel all warm and fuzzy. I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I am somebody that reacts oddly when somebody praises me. I'm like, I'm always somebody that kind of clams up. And like, what's going on here? This is... This makes me feel weird, which is probably why I react sarcastically to almost every single tag that we get that is praising us. Yeah, it's usually a snarky gift, so I'm trying to actually be nice to people. <laughs> Alex in Germany is a big fan of ours, and then I got hit up. I did not even know this, Levin. There's on Twitter, at 49ers Germany. Like, there's legions of German 49er fans out there, and they turn to the Niners Nation Podcast Network to know what they need to know. You know, I will say this. I saw an article just the other day talking about how the NFL wants to have games in Germany. And my reaction to that being a kid of the 90s was about freaking time because I remember the World Football League and I remember how crazy the Germans were for football. I miss the World Football League. I used to watch that every year. You know, I used to work. I knew John Kidna. Sorry. I I knew John Kidna before he ever made it to the NFL. He's the guy I always remember because he dominated at the World Football League. Name dropper. You <laughs> knew John Kidna before he was cool. Congrats on that. I didn't personally know him. I just knew, like, I remember when he came and he got into the NFL. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the, like, world football guy that dominated that league. All right. Uh, I teased when we went to break how you think that we are going to find out about Kyle Shanahan with this draft. And I totally agree with you because we are. We are going to find out who Kyle Shanahan is. If he still favors the Kirk Cousins type of guy, we'll know because he'll take Mac Jones at three. If he has evolved his thinking since then and he likes mobility and he likes, you know, guys that can make plays outside of the structure of the offense, we'll know because he'll take either Fields or Wilson or Lance. So I love that we are going to get some answers on these questions that you and I and others have kind of been talking about, but without any real hard evidence. Yeah, like, so... My issue is, if it is Mac Jones, why do you have to go to number three for him? Like, we, it's a weird situation because we know exactly where the Niners could have gone for cheaper because the Dolphins got number 12 from the Niners and then immediately flipped it to get back to number six with, I believe, the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. And they gave up one less future first round pick. Like, that was the price for number six. You don't think Mac Jones is there at number six? Like, really? And even if, for some reason, some other team was enamored by Mac Jones and goes and gets him in front of you at six, that means Fields or Lance is sitting there at six. Are you telling me Mac Jones is so much better than them that you give up an extra first-round pick to guarantee you get Mac Jones? Like, really? That's the part I don't get. If you prefer Mac Jones, I don't agree. I think that there is legitimate issues with you being stuck in your ways, but I can accept it. What I can't accept is going all the way up to number three for a guy that you don't have to like that. That would be my issue. Yeah. um, I get what you're saying there, but I think the thinking is we want our guy. 
we don't want whoever falls through the cracks to us. If we think it's Mac Jones, I want to make sure I get Mac Jones because that's the guy I think is the best out of all these. So I'm not screwing around. And if he's as good as I think he is, no one's going to care that we traded up to number three to get him. Yeah, I get that. I just, I don't agree with giving up all of that to get a guy that is, I would say, all but guaranteed to still be there at six. I don't think anybody's going crazy to try to get Mac Jones. Like we talked about, there are character issues. And I think those character issues tend to be, in draft prep, something that can be ignored by the evaluators, whoever. But then you see those guys kind of fall in the draft sometimes. And people are going, oh, maybe that was a bigger deal. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen that. doesn't always happen, but we've seen that. And he has another character flaw. I mean... I'm in as good a shape as he is. <laughs> Not really. Pretty close, though. Like, I find it inexcusable to be a top-flight NFL prospect and look the way he does. Like, look, he is not in terrible shape, but he is not in as good of shape as he could be. And if you're not willing to maximize your abilities by being in the best possible shape, that is a major character flaw to me. Because what else are you not going to go all the way for? What else are you not going to put the time in for? Because staying in shape is something that takes a lot of time and energy. Something that I struggle with putting time and energy into. And here he is, an NFL quarterback. A guy that, to be a successful NFL quarterback, you have to live football. Like, that is your life. Because you have to be reviewing film, staying in tip-top shape, and then practicing. And if you're not willing to stay in tip-top shape, are you willing to review film for endless hours? Like, that's a question. That's a legitimate question. Am I not wrong? What if he says, I'm not in shape because I'm reviewing film? Then what else are you doing with your time? Going out and drinking and driving? Like, wow. Wow. Okay. If Drew Brees can find the time, if Aaron Rodgers can find the time, if Tom Brady can find the time, you have enough time to review film And stay in tip-top shape. If Justin Fields has the time, if Trey Lance has the time, like all these other top-flight quarterbacks in this draft are in great shape, he's not. That is a question. He does have a bit of a doughy physique. I'll throw that. I admit that. I have seen him with his shirt off. And let's just say he didn't look like Justin Fields when Fields, if you notice, Fields ran the 40 at his pro day shirtless. And I think that was by design. Yeah. I mean, Fields looks like a wide receiver. Like he is a wide receiver speed and built like a really strong wide receiver playing quarterback. And he plays quarterback really damn well. Like he is literally, I wouldn't put quite put him in physique wise. On this level, but I think he's pretty close. He is almost DK Metcalf. Like, you think of DK Metcalf as this massive guy. Like, we got into this on this podcast months ago prior to the season with JT O'Sullivan, if you remember, where he talks about when you see quarterbacks on TV, you think that they're kind of these normal dudes, but in reality, they're freaking giants. (laughs) And I think you get into that. Like, you think, like, I am guilty of this. When I think of Justin Fields, I don't think he's that big. But if I saw him lined up as a wide receiver at the size he is, six foot three, like 220-something pounds, I'd be like, that is a freaking huge wide receiver. That is DK Metcalf size. Like, he is a huge dude, and he runs 4-4-4. Yeah, that is. And Kyle Posey pointed it out, too. People are like, oh, that's fast for a quarterback. He's like, no, dude, that's fast for a human being at that size. <laughs> doesn't matter what his position is. So shout out to KP for that one. Um, I think that the pressure is on Shanahan now. You know, he got a couple of honeymoon years because the Niners were so bad. And then they went to the Super Bowl. And last year, everybody was hurt. But like now when you make the move to three and you trade up and you're seemingly seemingly going to get your pick at quarterback, like the honeymoon is over for them. The Niners are going to have to win fairly quickly. You can't have a losing record this year. Well, you can't be eight and eight this year either because there's 17 games. But you know what I'm saying? Like, You can't, I don't care if there's injuries or whatever. Like the honeymoon is running out on him. The excuses are running out. This is the all in move that you started ranting about. What? Towards the beginning of the year, I think. Um, Ranting that the team needs to stop sitting on the fence and put all their chips in and make a choice 
on a quarterback. They can't sit on the fence anymore. This is them pushing all their chips in. And what it means is they either get this pick right or they're likely unemployed in a few years. Like yeah. It's as simple as that. If they miss on this quarterback, they're likely going to end up getting fired down the road. Now, I would say it's not going to be next year. No. Not even probably going to be the year after that. But if they miss on this quarterback, you're likely looking at three years, I would say, Kyle would be fired. If the quarterback is not good enough to win you games, Kyle will end up fired. So this is his make or break move. And this happens in the regime of anybody, really. You you usually, I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head of a regime that never got to pick their quarterback. In fact, it usually happens pretty early because guys like to get their, their quarterback in there right away. Niners have had sort of a weird situation with the whole Jimmy Garoppolo thing that it's been delayed. But this is it now. This is the fork in the road. And we are going to find out with this decision whether or not John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are leaning more towards the Bill Walsh, George Seifert type 49ers coaches and GMs and regimes or whether it's going to go another way and they're going to be kind of thrown on that just pile of dudes. (laughs) Pile of dudes. I like that. So let's get into, I guess, the elephant of this podcast now because we've, we've kind of beat around the bush and we never quite dove into what I wrote. So let's dive into it because I think it's related. I mean, it's clearly related. It's about Mac Jones. I wrote that part of Mac Jones's rise as a prospect is due to racism. Now, I stipulate in the article, and let me say this, if you commented on Twitter about it, it was pretty obvious whether you read the article or not based on what you said. Because you see racism and you think one thing. But racism, as I say in the article, is more nuanced than simple. I don't like that guy because of the color of his skin, or I like that guy because of the color of his skin, and I'm going to degrade one guy and upgrade the other guy. No, it's more nuanced than that, and that's what I get into. The NFL has a racist past. There's no denying that. They have a racist past, and some of the biggest and most blatant racism came at the quarterback position, where teams would not give a black man the opportunity to be quarterback. And I am old enough. I'm only in my mid thirties. I am old enough to remember hearing that there was a thought amongst the NFL circles that a black man was not smart enough to handle a complicated NFL Mm -hmm. offense. It was that blatantly racist. Not that long ago. We're talking about the eighties. That was still a pretty decently held belief. It wasn't until Doug Williams won Super Bowls, and Warren Moon became one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL en route to the Hall of Fame, that that opinion started to change. That, I think, has created a system or a history that is biased towards a certain style of quarterback that is predominantly white. Whereas the athletic quarterbacks, at least at this point, it can change. Josh Allen is an example of that. But at this point, a lot of your athletic quarterbacks are black. Now, a lot of the successful Super Bowl winning quarterbacks have been pocket passers because there was a bias based on race. There were were pocket passers. Exactly. And so I think that there is this idea where people are more critical of the athletic quarterback. They look at the athletic quarterback and say, well, you know, yeah, he can run, but can he actually play quarterback? You know, there's that, and it's an underlying thing that sometimes you're not even conscious of, and that's how I described it, unconscious racism, because it's built upon racism. You yourself, I don't think, are necessarily being racist. You know, the, the pundits out there aren't necessarily being racist themselves, but they are being affected by racism, and that is affecting their opinion. I think that is going on with Mac Jones. And I think part of it, too, is... Like you said that some people think like, oh, you know, this black quarterback doesn't know how to play the position. It's like, no, let's be honest. There weren't a lot of mobile quarterbacks back in the day. The coaches don't know how to coach a mobile quarterback because that's they had no experience with it. So they kept trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. And I think right now we are just now sort of getting to the the point where there are so many athletic guys coming up that the coaches have finally figured out that it's dumb to try and jam the square peg in the round hole and coach a guy as if he was a pocket passer when he has this other ability in his toolbox. Like instead of getting him to not use it and put maybe his strongest or one of his strongest attributes, you know, in the closet, 
let them use it, embrace it, embrace that aspect of it and change the way you coach. And I don't think a lot of guys did. And that's why it's sort of taken so long to fully embrace the guys that we see in the league now. And look, I I didn't get into this because I, I thought it would detract from the article, but we're seeing the quarterback position kind of have a revolution that we've already seen in another sport. And I do think it correlates. You, you can make this analogy. It used to be the really tall kid just sat and got the ball underneath the basket in basketball. Didn't develop the ability to dribble. Didn't abil- develop the ability to shoot. He was just big kid under the basket. Protected the rim and didn't really develop any actual fundamental skills. We, what have we seen in the last 20 years? Just because you're big doesn't mean you're set in the NBA. You got to be athletic. You got to be able to dribble the ball. You got to be able to run up and down the court. And we've seen a revolution at that position. Well, in the quarterback position, it used to be like it's not a coincidence that there's so many all American, clean cut, solid chin white guys who are quarterbacks in the NFL. There is a bias in the little leagues of, hey, who's going to be the quarterback? Oh, it's that rich, good looking kid. You know what I mean? Like they're. There's a reason why so many are that way. And that has started to change. Instead of people saying, well, let's put the athletic kid as a wide receiver or the running back, they're saying, make this athletic kid the quarterback so he has the ball in his hands every single play. And we're starting to see that revolution. And guess what? It's only going to become more and more. I would argue that in the not too distant future, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to see the pocket passers start to disappear. There might be guys that are capable of being pocket passers, but they're also going to be athletic and capable of running, like in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a pocket passer. He only runs when he has to. You know, he's not, he wasn't a Cam Newton. He wasn't trying to punch it in from the goal line, you know, as if he was like a smash mouth running back. But that revolution has already started. We see more and more athletic quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's only going to become more prevalent because people have realized if you make the athletic kid the quarterback, you're going to be a better team, whether that is in Little League, junior high, high school, college, or the pros. If you get somebody who can actually throw the ball and happens to be athletic, it's only an advantage. Yeah, imagine having your most athletic person with the ball in his hands most often. Like, it just logically makes sense. That's, of course, it's what you want to do. Why would you want to put your most athletic person at wide receiver where he's furthest away from the football? Like, that's insanity. It literally has to do with how the NFL came about. What was the NFL in its infancy for, like, the first 50 years of the NFL? You didn't pass the ball. Round and pound, yeah. Yeah, so your athletic people weren't the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks didn't do shit. You know what I mean? It wasn't until basically Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi where you started to see quarterbacks actually vomit deep and you you wanted to see a little bit more athleticism. And then you had Fran Tarkington come around who actually could run. But the NFL is slow to adjust. We have seen that whether we're talking about personnel wise or just schemes, it takes the NFL a while to adjust. And it normally takes somebody winning and dominating the league, doing something for the NFL to go, okay, we all need to do that. And the Niner, Niners fan base should know that better than most because that's what happened with the West Coast offense. Nobody thought it was going to be that successful. People railed on it in the beginning, and then he won a bunch of championships. And guess what? Now just about every team in the NFL runs some variant of the West Coast offense. Look at the 49ers, and I'm not saying that this is because of conscious racism or anything like that. Do you know who the first black quarterback was to start for the 49ers? Was it Kaepernick? No. I can't think of another. It was Troy Smith in 2000. Oh, Troy Smith came, yeah. He was the first one. And the only other black starting quarterback the Niners have had in a regular season game is Colin Kaepernick. Two. They have had two in the history of their franchise. Now, part of that is because they had Joe Montana and Steve Young, so they had dynasties of long stretches with one guy at quarterback. But it just it goes to show, like, it's 2021, and the 49ers have had more championships than black starting quarterbacks. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I will say that I think the Niners, in terms of an actual franchise, are about as progressive as it gets. Especially now. And that's because of the city that they're based in. I mean, in some ways, franchises are representative of their fan base. Because if you're going to piss off your fan base, you're not going to do something. And so the Niners have had to be progressive because of 
the progressive things that San Francisco does and the people that live there. And, you know, I didn't get into it as much because I didn't make the article as much about the Niners. But I I wanted to stress it, but I, I thought it distracted from the main point. I don't think Jed York, Kyle Shanahan, or John Lynch are racist, even if they end up taking Mac Jones. I think that would be more of an ego thing from Kyle, that he goes, this is my type of quarterback. I don't care. And he's taking it. And that's why I'm going to be critical of Kyle if Mac Jones is the pick, because he's being stubborn. And normally when he's stubborn, bad things happen. <laughs> well, yeah, that it's is true. true. That is the guy that demanded C.J. Beathard go in the third when just about everybody had him as like a fifth or sixth round pick. Like, don't be stubborn. And that's why I make the argument that Kyle Shanahan shouldn't have final say when it comes to a quarterback. But can I stick up for him just a little bit? He also found Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, which is a huge, which is a massive steal. Kirk Cousins is is a really good quarterback, and he found him in the first round, uh, fourth round, rather, and nobody wanted him. So if you're going to ding him for Beathard, that's fine, and I agree. But he should also get credit for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, like, I am not somebody that, it is overall like I, I think I come off really critical of Kyle because I'm willing to call out his ego. But in reality, I think he's a great coach. Just because you're critical of somebody doesn't think doesn't mean you think he's bad. I'm just somebody that likes to call it like it is. And yes, he has an ego issue. That is, I think, his one big negative that sometimes his ego gets in his way. Speaking of ego, you and I got into it on last week's show about Jimmy Garoppolo and whether the team should trade him and if they're going to trade him, when they should move him. And I'm on the get rid of him. He should not be on the team this year at any stretch, at any point. Get rid of him. It's it's over. And you <laughs> take a much more measured approach than me, let's just say. <laughs> You're willing to you know go as far as training camp and see like, let's sort of compare these guys and see where they're at. Chris Sims said in his podcast, uh, the Sims Unbuttoned podcast, that he thinks Jimmy should be traded for two reasons. One is that he can't be a backup quarterback because he's always hurt, which I have brought up myself and I think is legit. But two, he's not playing. How does he get hurt? Well, but even if he has to go in there, he's going to get hurt. So then you're going to be stuck with your number three guy. And two, okay, what's next? <laughs> Just ignoring points I'm making. That's fine. That's what you usually do. Uh, the Jimmy's standing in the locker room could create a conflict within the team because you like you could have some guys that are all in on the rookie, but you could have other guys that are like, hey, Jimmy's my dude. We went to the Super Bowl, yada, yada, yada. And you want to avoid all that. So you just ship Jimmy out of town and give the rookie the keys to the car. That sounds familiar. It's almost like somebody said that on this podcast last week. Was it me? I literally said that on this podcast last week. I said, if the Niners do trade, I, I'm not sure Jimmy is okay with the situation of sitting around and waiting to be replaced. And then that could become a problem in the locker room. And then you might want to move him. I even said, because he is seen as such a great leader and so many of the players see him as this great leader of them, that it's hard for the rookie to establish himself. Because you want your quarterback to be the leader. And if you draft a guy to be the quarterback of your future, and you have this other quarterback who is starting caliber, Jimmy is a starting caliber quarterback. He's just not as good as you hope. He's an average starting quarterback. He's starting caliber. But he is a great leader that people believe in, and he does a good job of rallying the troops, so to speak, that you might want to move him just so that the rookie can establish himself. That's what I said last week. So... Yeah, I agree with Chris Sims. So they should trade him. Chris Sims agrees with me. Sorry, Chris Sims agrees with me because you know he listens to our podcast. What are we arguing about then? Trade him. I'm not against trading him. I'm just also not against keeping him until you know you got the guy. I understand your point of view that if you're trading up to the third pick, you better believe you got your guy. I'm just more stuck in the realism of it. How many teams have thought they got the guy and didn't end up getting the guy? More often than the teams that actually got the guy. So I'm fine keeping a backup option sitting there in case the guy that they get is not ready whatsoever so we don't waste a contending season. But I'm also fine moving him because I think it would be hard for the rookie to establish himself due to the reputation Jimmy has in the locker room. 
you're a huge wimp and don't want to take any risks and have no confidence in the team. I happen to think Kyle and John know what they're doing. That's okay. That's just how we're different. That's fine. Three losing seasons out of four. How's it worked out for you? And what they do in the other one? Not win the Super Bowl, and that's all that matters. Losing the Super Bowl doesn't mean jack shit to me. Oh, come on. I, you get credit for going to a Super Bowl. Don't be that guy. Eh. Like, yes, you get credit, but I also hate it. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's not fun. But I hate still. it, but I like, like, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, we beat everybody, but it's like winning, I mean, okay, that that's dumbing it down probably too much. I was going to say, it's like getting second place in your fantasy league. You don't get to brag to anybody. Nobody gives a shit. Well, yeah, nobody cares about your fantasy league. <laughs> yeah, I figured that was dumbing it down too much, but it's something that everybody can understand. How often do you see the person who gets second place in a fantasy league bragging to the other members in that fantasy league? Hey, I got second. You, you didn't. Yeah, but nobody. So no credit goes to second place. But Super Bowl appearances matter. Like you're telling me the Buffalo Bills don't have a great dynasty. They went to four straight Super Bowls. That freaking counts. Like that's more impressive to me than one Super Bowl win in like four years. Uh. Ask Bills fans if they would trade in those four straight appearances for one Super Bowl win and then losing seasons in the other three. Guarantee they would trade them in. Well, I'm sure they would, but that doesn't mean that getting to four straight Super Bowls isn't an amazing accomplishment that we will probably never, ever see again. Yeah, it's an accomplishment, but it's also one that's not brought up very often for a reason. Most people don't give a shit. Like, it's more of like a, hey, that's cool, and that's it. Like, Okay, but you also lost four straight. So, like, there's always a but to that accomplishment, yeah, I which then makes it not, somewhat I, hollow. I understand it's not as good as winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> but, like, the idea that you're not going to, you know, you just say, oh, well, Kyle Shanahan, you know, yeah, he went to the Super Bowl, but so what? He's had three other losing seasons. Like, <laughs> you, you can't do that. Come on now. I know. I'm just throwing it at you that they've lost, they had three losing seasons. Like I said, I am willing to speak criticism but that doesn't mean i'm down on them i think john lynch and kyle shanahan are really good at what they do and they ran into bad luck last year in the first two years they get a pass because they're rebuilding and once again the quarterback got hurt like it's hard to blame a regime for the quarterback getting hurt up until the point that they keep trusting that quarterback to stay healthy and that, like, if the Niners did absolutely nothing yeah. in this offseason yep. to address the quarterback position, guess what? It's on you now, Kyle and John. But they're addressing it. And I love, like, by the way, that they, in the press conference, they made no bones about the fact that, like, we're picking a quarterback. They said they're picking yeah. a quarterback. It wasn't like, well, we could do a lot of it. Di- like, no, no, no. They know, which to me, again, points to the fact that they're going to get rid of Jimmy. Like that press conference earlier this week to me was it's a new era. We knew we had the strength in the position. We knew it's a risk. We're going for it. We, I mean, Kyle said we can't have another injured season at the quarterback like we had. That's why to me, they know everybody should know Jimmy is not suiting up in the scarlet and gold this year. It's quite possible. Like you you can call me a fence center, but I can see both scenarios i can see them hanging on to jimmy and i can also see them moving jimmy my question to you is what would you move jimmy for anything anything you want because i would if all you get offered is a fifth round pick would you pull the trigger 100 percent. i would cut him he should not be on the team there's no value to him being on the team yeah see i disagree with that i am willing to trade jimmy but it, there's a cost a cost balance there. At a certain point, the compensation you're giving me does not outweigh the benefit I have of having a vet on the team. There's no what 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 benefit? The fact that you can let the rookie learn the playbook and he doesn't have to hit day one running unless he is one of those special prospects that can hit the ground running day one. He doesn't need to know the whole playbook for the first game. If Kyle Shanahan can get Jimmy Garoppolo to know enough of the playbook in 2017 to play at the level he did, I think he can get a rookie with months to prepare 
up and running enough to to run the offense in the first game of the season. Yeah, see, I've heard that, and yet it it's actually been said that they didn't run much of Kyle's offense. Kyle adjusted his offense and called a lot of plays that aren't part of his playbook Great. to fit Jimmy. Who cares? They won. Like, that's what you have to do as a coach. Adjust to your quarterback. Do the same thing. Like, you are the offensive genius. Figure it out. <laughs> they won. This is difficult. They won because Jimmy was a huge improvement over C.J. Beathard and others. They didn't win solely because of Jimmy. He was good, not great. He was good, not great. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. He was what we've seen out of Jimmy ever since. Like he had seven touchdowns and five interceptions in those five games. That's the sole reason the Niners won. No. It's the same reason why the Niners were 6-10 and 10 this past year. The backup quarterbacks are so god-awful on this team that if the if the starter goes down, they are screwed. Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard are, let's just call it what it is, they're garbage. But that's why I'm so excited about this year because I think the exact same thing could apply. I think that they are going to improve so much at the quarterback position, specifically from what we saw last year, that they could have the same kind of success. And that's why people think I'm crazy, but that's what's in my head is like, if they can just get, you know, if they if their quarterback level is tall enough to ride the bumper cars, if that makes sense, they're going to win a ton of games and people don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. They, they think I'm an idiot and that's fine. I will die on this hill. Levin. You should be used to that by now, but true, true. <laughs> Who do they bring in as a backup then? I have not seen that. Discussed. I don't care because the starters if I, in every game. I am so sick of talking about the 49ers backup quarterback. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Bring in Oscar the Grouch. Bring in a tomato can to be the backup quarterback. Who cares? I'm done talking about it. The starters playing 16 games and that's it. But shouldn't you have somebody with starting experience to help the rookie out? Josh Rosen is not an experienced quarterback. He's not the best to help bring along a rookie. So shouldn't you go out and find a veteran, even if you don't plan on him playing at all? I'm not, I'm not talking about spending good money, but you should find somebody with starting experience out there because I think that is more valuable than most people realize, having a quarterback who has starting experience to help a rookie along. It can help. 100% sure. Like, I agree. But I'm not paying $26 million for that. And I'm not relying on a guy who always gets hurt to be that guy. Like, if you want to hire Jimmy as a coach for $2 million a year, awesome. But I'm not paying $26 million for that when I could save that money and either use it this year to pick up late free agents or, more than likely, roll it over into next season. Like, I'm sorry that there's just too much benefit to having him not on the team than there is to having him on the team. Look, I don't necessarily disagree. If I was running... A 49ers, you know, God help us. Please, please come hire me. <laughs> I'm more often right than wrong. Come on now. That's why I'm the teeth for talent. Anyways, if I'm running the Niners, I would probably trade Jimmy for a third round pick. If I can't get a third round pick for him, I'm going to hang on to him for a while. That doesn't mean I hang on to him all year. Eventually, I would trade him, but at least have him around in training camp to push the rookie and to help the rookie through a training camp. And then pull the trigger on a trade. What if Jimmy's like, forget this. I'm not helping this guy. I'm not doing anything. I'm doing the bare minimum. I'm showing up late. I'm leaving early. This kid can figure it out on his own. I had to learn the system during the season. This kid can figure it out. And, you know, if he's not all in like that, then what is the benefit to having him there? And and he might be, like you've pointed out, he might be starting to get a little pissed off. Kyle Flat said he was disappointed. But... I feel like if that was the case, if that was the read Kyle has, one, he would have known from the phone call and they would have pulled the trigger by now. You know what I mean? Like if Jimmy had said, I'm not doing that, they would have pulled the trigger by now. And I'll be perfectly honest. I would not blame Jimmy for demanding a trade right now. He sat behind somebody for a long time. He doesn't have many years to sit around anymore. He doesn't want to waste another one. He needs to play. If I'm him, I would be saying, trade me now. I I, I wouldn't be doing it publicly unless I'm falling on deaf ears, but I would be talking to them and say, look, 
if I'm here in training camp, I'm going public and it's not going to go well. Yeah, the problem is anybody involved. I don't think anyone's going to pay him $26 million. So he's going to have to take less money, I think, in order to facilitate a deal. The problem with that is if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm like, no, I'm not taking less money to facilitate a trade. Cut me. And then I'll at least get to choose where I go. So he has, what, like 52, 53 million left on his deal. I could see the Patriots giving him a four-year deal that guarantees him more money, but his overall salary is lower than that $26 million average. So Jimmy gets some more money guaranteed. He gets that money that he would get over the next two years guaranteed, but the Patriots are able to spread out the hit and lower his cap hit in years one and two. You know what I mean? So like a, say a four-year, $80 million deal. Only average is 20, but they guarantee 50 million of it. So that Jimmy gets guaranteed 50 so that he's there for two years because the Patriots aren't going to trade for him and then throw in the towel after one year. Right. So the Patriots are okay with guaranteeing him two years worth of it. But then they're able to lower the cap. I think they want him for like 10 million a year. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I, I think the Patriots, they're definitely not paying him 26. That's for damn sure. No. Um, See, the Patriot, the Patriots are in the perfect position to play chicken. Right. They're in the perfect position to say, we'll give you a sixth round pick if you can find more more power to you and dare them to cut Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Because if they cut Jimmy, they got a 99% chance of being the ones that re-signed Jimmy. And they don't have to pay him $26 million. Exactly. So so if I'm the Patriots, I'm, I'm calling their bluff and... I'm sure the Patriots have offered something. It's clearly not much. And I don't know if I would offer a lot of us, the Patriots. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that they have. I'm sure they're, I mean, you saw the pictures at the Alabama pro day of Lynch and Belichick. (laughs) They're there. They weren't talking about the weather. Let's be honest. Like, come on. I mean, Kyle even talked about how he was able to finalize the move up with the Dolphins at the BYU pro day. Cause who do you think he was talking to? He was talking to the Dolphins. Like, that, you know, that's something we brought up too. Like a lot of those discussions take place at the combine because that hasn't happened. They're, they've sort of started doing it this way, which is what they've had to do, really. There's no other choice. But I'm sure that they talked to Belichick about it. I'm sure that they've had discussions and exchanges. And I'm sure Bill probably flat out said, here's what we're offering. It's not improving. If you don't like it, either trade him somewhere else or we'll pick him up when you cut him. If you want a final thought for this podcast, I just want to say once again, we have verifiable proof that nobody in the freaking media has an inside track to this regime because they were once again able to keep this completely secret. And after the fact, it's been reported that they were trying to trade up for a couple weeks <laughs> into the top five. So for a couple weeks, nobody was able to say jack crap about it. Hmm. It's almost like there's no leaks and anybody who says that they have a source inside the regime. And I want to stress that because they might have a source connected but outside of that front office you know an agent or player but inside that front office there is no source so stop saying you have one it's true i mean you're ever having discussions with for weeks with multiple teams too so there's potentially a lot of sources of leaks and we didn't hear a sniff and that's why i think the same thing is happening with 49ers media and jimmy garoppolo they keep saying he's not going to get traded he's not going to get traded and i'm just like look every time you guys have told me something's not going to happen the opposite has happened like so I honestly, I do not look to members of the 49ers media for that kind of information because they have shown that they are not turning over all the rocks and digging up this kind of stuff. That's just not what the 49ers beat does. It's just not that's not how they operate. You have to look at the facts of the situation. You have to look at what the team has actually done not what they have said. And you have to reach your own conclusions. I will say I can guarantee there is one team inside the top five that the Niners did not call and try to trade with. The Jags. And that's Jacksonville Jags, because if they did, Bulky would have leaked it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine that? Like, you're right. Yeah, that's true. I I didn't think of that, but you're probably right. I just now thought of it, yeah. I, I would almost guarantee that Jed said, whatever you do, try to get in the top five, but do not call Jacksonville. <laughs> Lose the number. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Again, we remind you, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to everybody on Twitter, international fans, for all the love. We really do appreciate it. 
Uh, if you want to read an article about the quarterbacks, by the way, Kyle Posey has a long piece up on NinersNation.com where he grades all the quarterbacks according to different categories and comes up with who he thinks is the best guy. You should definitely go check it out. It is a fun read. So please do that. Levin, I am like re-energized now as a fan because of this deal. And I'm just, just Xing out the days on the calendar until the draft because I just, I cannot wait for what comes next. And I don't know if people realize how much fun it could be. Look, it's either going to be a lot of excitement for who the quarterback is or a lot of excitement because they took Mac Jones. <laughs> <laughs> like if Mac Jones is the pick, there is going to be pandemonium. If Mac Jones is not the pick, then there's going to be a lot of excitement. Either one is good for our numbers, so we'll take it. Talk to you <laughs> next week. Thank you.